it's been a interesting week and let's take a trip around the Canadian soccer football landscape with some personalities some podcasters content creators out there today we're having a quick conversation with Adam from crates of freights you've seen him tweet you've seen the fun today we've covered a varied of topics from just our favorite formations things we'd like to see and maybe a few players we're interested to see coming to the world cup roster sit back relax and enjoy the pod get right into it and there's not really right, let me turn a light like a, a light kind of uh, oh that might help oh. a little bit just i could turn the big light on but i don't yeah. think people want to see my face that clearly you know Oh, th- we have we have faces for podcasts, as we've been told by many of our exactly. family members. So, yeah, it there is fine. No, but Adam, um, crates and freights, freights of crates. I, I don't know when I first saw you on Twitter, but I saw you. I was just like, this guy, he's doing something and people are falling. And I love it. I'm going to give him some love. Because you can always tell when people put something. It's like when, like when Josh had like Ismail Kone, the next Alfonso Davies. Like when I saw that title, I was like, "Are you doing that because you know people will overreact?" Because if you are, well played, well, well played. And then the comment section: Why are you calling him Alfonso Davies? He's the next Ismail Kone. The first thirty seconds of the video is like, "He got you all. All of you are angry for no reason." They, Watch yeah. the video. <laughs> Oh man. But yeah, so I saw you on Twitter, but tell me tell us listeners a little bit about yourself. Um what do you do, how you got into just tweeting and being the personality that you are here. So, how I got into tweeting, um god, I couldn't even tell you. Mm. I don't know when I got uh when I started getting a following. It it, it probably coincided with with Canada starting to win a little bit cuz I tweeted a lot about Canada mm. soccer. And the other big portion of my following, I would, I would imagine, is probably Raptors fans because I tweet a lot about basketball. So but how I got a following, I don't know. That's for other people to decide. Um, how I got into Canada soccer, though, I can definitely talk mm-hmm. on that. Um, yeah. I Well, I've always – like I grew up playing the sport, obviously, and uh, yeah. was a big fan of the sport. I always, I always believed um, that we could do it well in this country. Like we could do it at, at, a, at you know, a, a level that is on par with the best countries in the world. And I believe that we had talent and, and growing up, I played at a decently high level and I played with a guy who probably a lot of people um, on this podcast would know his name. Uh, uh-huh. Tristan Borges is on, was on all of my teams growing up. Yeah. And, and I remember having a conversation with him because he's a Portuguese Canadian and then he had dreams of someday playing for Portugal. Uh-huh. And I just remember like being eight or nine years old and he was really good even then and telling him, Oh, like if you ever make it, you got to play for Canada. Like, you know, screw Portugal, like you're Canadian. And that's, I don't know when, you know, exactly, sir, but I, I distinctly remember having those conversations with him, um, mm. like that he needed to represent Canada because, you know, nobody ever represents Canada and like that we yeah. lose all of our good players to other countries. So it started, so, you know, sometime around then. I was probably close to 10 years old. And then I remember mm. around that age also, I went to uh, a match at BMO Field where, where Canada hosted St. Lucia mm. and uh, Canada won four to one. It was kind of a you know an uneventful game probably to most people, but for me that was like a game that I kind of fell in love with the national team. If I wasn't already, um, I loved world football. I played like mm. uh, all those the, the FIFA World Cup video games. Like I had the you know, 2006 yeah. game. I was bumping that game to like 2010 when the 2010 game came out, and then I was bumping Yo. that game for another three or four years. So I was so I've, I was always into world football, and I always believed that in this country we could do it. 
at that level. You know that mm-hmm. we all, we always were selling ourselves short, and uh, and now I feel like finally we're we're climbing. You know, we're climbing that mountain slowly but surely. No, that that's true. Definitely, I think for me, definitely the first time I thought about even Canada and soccer was so 1999. My mom and my two sisters and my older brother not my i'm a family of five so my dad sent us back home to ghana i'm ghanaian uh parents are ghanaian i was born mm-hmm. here in canada so we went there and we you know like that's the first time i saw it. my first match was um the uh, kumasi sports stadium where they played the ghana versus nigeria and ghana so like when they were playing that on youtube i'm watching i'm like that's right outside my aunt's house so like the the concept of club football <laughs> like no but like i'd never seen it before like i, I live in niagara region so like i had never seen like caravans of cars showing up every Thursday or Sunday for the game. So to me, it was just like, man, this must be a big deal. But then 99, we had Jamaica come to Ghana and this is right after the 98 world cup. So like having Jamaica there, they've won a game. It's a big deal for, and I remember like national team, Mm -hmm. it was, everyone was talking about it. They play them. Ghana beats them. And I'm like, okay, so Ghana has a team. Does Canada have the team? Fast forward two months, I'm, we're supposed to leave on like, I forget what day in August, but we missed, they overbooked the flight. So they gave us extra, they, we have to wait like three days. So we go to one of my mom's friend's house and there, one of the, one of the channels are playing the Women's World Cup basically from start to finish. Now, 1999 Women's World Cup was in June. It is August. So I watched that entire tournament. They just like play the games, play the matches. So First time I see Canada jerseys, I see Charmaine Hooper, and I'm like, we have one of those? Do the guys have one? Is this a thing? Where where do I support this? How how do I get involved with this? So we walked all the way till the end, and like I was telling you before we recorded, I didn't realize it was in June. I thought all happened in August, mm-hmm. up until like this day. Like this day I was researching the story. I was like, wait, this happened in June? I watched an entire tournament on TVLA as a 10-year-old, and I'm like, oh, this is great. Oh, we're in it. We're in this. But yeah, Canada didn't do well there. But still, that's when I first thought, okay, national team football, that's cool. 06, basically from 2000 to like 2011, basically just went straight Ghana at that point. Because I'm like, hey, they're at the World mm-hmm. Cup. My parents are from there. I'm going to ride with them. And the interesting thing for me was, I think the first time we had the conversation in our house, where we were like, who are we rooting for, was... There was the U20, I think it was 05. The males, U, U20 was 05 or 06. I forget which year it was. When but when that, they came to Toronto? Yeah, when they came to Toronto. And there was big hype was about 07. that team. Was it 07? It was okay, 07, it was somewhere. I, where, I remember because I was working at the summer camp. But then like right before I was talking to my brother, I'm like, if we get tickets, we're, like we're going, right? We're like that because that got like mm-hmm. that Canada team was hyped. People were like, yo, they had beat Brazil in friendlies beforehand. And everyone was like, yo, this is the gen. This is a generation. We're finally here. And they didn't score a goal. They didn't score a yeah. single goal. <laughs> and it was just like, well, that's the end. But then same thing, U17 women's. And like me and my sister are in the house and my mom and my dad are like, who are we rooting for? Ghana played Canada the opening match. And we we're just like, so how is this running here? And my parents were like, hey, pulled out their passports. I'm like, okay, no, that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. We're going we're gonna to sit here with the Canadians. Ghana won, and it was like, oh, all the chores for you. I was like, I don't like <laughs> parents. I don't like you. But we did that. But right around that time, like before that, you start watching. Like 
I was I watch a lot of MLS. Like I was a sport net. If there was a sport on the television, I didn't care what it was, I would watch it. WNBA, I would watch it. Like um Titans of of the arena, I was watching it. So mm-hmm. anytime like I watched like three MLS Cup finals and I remember I watched like the New England versus Houston Dynamo and I saw Dwayne De Rosario I was like I know he's Canadian so I'm rooting for him. Please win Houston. They didn't win. And, you know, I felt like they were preparing me for years of just getting my hopes up and then just disappointing. Absolutely. It was an omen. That was was an omen. (laughs) It was. It was. And then I think you keep on following. Then, I mean, 2012 was just a a heartbreak because I remember I had a Honduran friend and we're like, yo, Canada's playing Honduras. Like, yeah, they, they actually might do it. And then we're watching the game together. Like the first goal is like, it's early, man. You're fine. Like Canada will put up a fight. It's for what at halftime? Where we're just like, I don't know what to yeah. say. I I hurt inside. I don't know what to say. And like we still talk about that game. For that was days. the all time low. Yeah, it that really was the all time low. That I, I I remember exactly where I was and exactly I was following that whole qualification journey so closely and. And I and I thought they had that was their shot, right? To get to the hex mm-hmm. for the first time in well, I guess it would have been since like ninety seven and, and mm-hmm. uh yeah, that that exploded in our face pretty quickly. But it's you know, I don't think we need to talk too much about the past because the past no, is depressing definitely. enough. And if you follow mm-hmm. the sport in this country, you you don't need to be told that. But no, now no. we're on the horizon of something amazing. And we uh, are and it's it's incredible and it's incredible to see how fast it's happened i think that's the big thing that's the jarring part of it is not that it's happened because i i always really to be honest with you i believe this would come i i I was confident that i would see canada in a world cup again i was confident Mm -hmm. why it wasn't alive the first time they made the world cup so i shouldn't say it again but Mm -hmm. i was confident that they would make it and that in my lifetime i would i would get to see world cups um i just you know wasn't sure that 2022 would be the year because because it certainly didn't look like it at the beginning of the cycle Mm -hmm. and it definitely didn't like at the beginning of everything it was i think for a lot of people you know look at that nation's league game in 2019 and say this is where it's starting and like i'll be honest for me when herdman made the switch i was just like but could it i hope it works i'm Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm gonna i perked up a bit and it was just like it everyone looks at that i but everyone looks at that moment and it was like yeah that's a turning point and i just distinctly remember people being like he just abandoned the women's teams like what i mean maybe but i'm curious about this I, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a little curious about i was this. totally i was actually i'm not gonna lie to you i loved herdman before i was like mm-hmm. i was big on onto herdman i because I'd follow the national team, uh, the women's national team, and he was a great motivator always. Yeah. I was I was hyped about it. Um, mm-hmm. I do I do remember thinking though that they had a really short leash on Octavio Zambrano, and I felt for him a bit because I thought that he yeah. was actually kind of heading in the right direction, um, and didn't really have the time to see it through. But overall, I remember being very happy about the Herdman appointment and curious, like most people, I'm sure you don't see uh, very mm-hmm. typically going from the women's game to the men's game, so. I wanted to see how that how that would play out, but I liked everything that he was saying, you know. Yeah. I, and I distinctly remember recently a friend of mine, Lucas Weiss, retweeted it, um, the clip on Tim and Sid. Yes, and, uh, yes. It was back in 2018, and I remember watching that. Like I remember exactly where I was sitting in my living room watching that, and then going to talk to my dad about it and being like, 
like they, they brought Herdman in, like he's going to change. You know, and I was like, I was convinced. I, I bought in because when that man speaks, you believe him. So True. that's where I was no, in 2018. Yeah. I really, every, every I, I had, player a, says I had a, a new hope yeah. about the program. No, definitely. Yeah, every player echoes that feeling. But you listen to him, you're just like, no, we're, we're different. We're, we're definitely fine. We We should be all right. But I mean, the thing that I think I appreciate about his tenure, even with the women's side all the way up to where we are presently, where we're going to the World Cup, we're pinching ourselves, and we are now apparently angering everyone because we think we can win games for some reason. It's it's a it's a new world we live in. It's just like when things went right, you could find the reason to celebrate, but when things went wrong, like the the Haiti twenty nineteen Haiti Gold Cup, right? You had to wear that, and they did. Yep. And it wasn't just like you didn't hear them yep. saying, "Well, you know, we'll." We just slipped up. We feel we're a better team. It's like, no, you. we let it slip away. And right now, we're going to have to wear this, but we have to improve. And I think it helps so much that twenty like later that year, you have Nations League, and it's 2-0 Canada in a game where you pretty much dominate. And that, for me, just when things are going well, you felt great about them. It, it's an interesting thing I said. Mm-hmm. I think on one of Soccer Snobs' videos, I put it like after Costa Rica this year, and I I didn't realize why I felt uncomfortable with this team. And I was just like, they seem so comfortable. I've never seen a Canada group so comfortable when they're down by a goal. And that's just weird. Mm-hmm. Because typically, like you're down one, you're like, okay, here comes a snowball. It's going to be three. And then the game will be done. But it's like they figured out a gear. They figured out the next level of, okay, we're down. We know how to get this. But then we also know how to not let up and continue that pressure, continue that buildup. So when I see them play, there is nothing they do so far that we've seen where I feel like we are out of our depths, which you couldn't no. say that about past teams. And, and, you couldn't. And to your point, they went until this final window of matches. Mm-hmm. They hadn't lost in any of the matches. Well, they hadn't lost, period. But mm-hmm. they, they'd gone down. They conceded the first goal a whole bunch of times. Like, I, I don't know what the number is, but off the top of my head, they conceded in the very first match against Honduras. In Toronto, they yep. worked back to draw. They conceded in the very in the second match against the U.S., they worked back to draw. They conceded against Mexico, they worked back to draw. They conceded against Panama, they worked back to win, right? You, you mm-hmm. can go through the whole schedule. Like yeah. it was That was like the common theme of qualifying is they were getting scored on early and they were bouncing back. Mm-hmm. And at the very least, they were getting points out of it. Obviously, in the last window, they weren't able to... Mm-hmm there were some circumstances and some unfortunate situations, I think that, that allowed that to be the case, but, but that team showed a resiliency where, that we haven't seen as Canadian soccer fans yes. ever. Like the idea that they can go down and then hit that next gear and actually come back into a game and steal points in a game mm-hmm. that looked like, you know, they might've been out of it. That, that, yeah. that never was a thing. That is true. And I think that's the thing, that level of resilience, that level of belief that they seem to always have. You look at them and you're just like, yeah, I don't think there is anything they will do that will surprise me. It's kind of how I look at Group H with in the World Cup groups. I'm like, any two teams can come out of there, in my opinion, and it wouldn't surprise me. It, mm-hmm. it honestly wouldn't. But we'll we'll get to that later. But no, speaking of the last window, okay. I do. I don't know how I feel because I recorded posts a little bit with uh, Alejandro, Peruvian Canadian, and lots of good points. But I've never f- this last window. I think I titled the pod. It was. We're at the World Cup, but I'm a little disappointed, right? And 
I think what I finally got my words to say was essentially. I think this was the first time where roster management, I think the second one, the October window that they had, they had injured players and they were able to work around it. Right. That's the Mexico, Jamaica, Panama. Right. They had injured players, but they brought depth and then the depth wasn't. So they had to use the depth through it all. And I remember saying they gambled on the roster. It didn't pay out, but the players were able to perform. And that's exciting. But you can't cheat the game like that in a sense. And so when we got to this last window, mm-hmm. I was looking at it. And I think for me, we saw, and similar to, and I'll let you talk about how you feel about this in a second, but I just really felt like we could have used our depth a little bit better in those last two games, especially on the road. Because you had players, especially the center backs who were in form that you could have used perhaps. Now, maybe that's just a trust thing with Herdman, which is fine. Um, mm-hmm. But I just felt like maybe at that point, maybe if it's letting Cornelius play, seeing what the fitness level of Kennedy is, maybe he wasn't available after that. We don't know. But you had center backs we could have used in that area where I think maybe we didn't use before. And then it came down to overall things. But yeah, I think that was the only time I felt a little bit disappointed. I don't know. How do you feel about that last window that they just came through here? Yeah, no, it was definitely disappointing in the sense that, you know, this is a team that hadn't lost through World Cup qualifying mm-hmm. through three rounds of it, through all those matches in the final round against better mm-hmm. opponents than the ones they were playing in that round. And then they dropped two of three in that mm-hmm. final round. So I think there's a lot of like, I, I, we have to look at it in totality. Mm-hmm. They lose the first game because of really silly decision from Mark Anthony K and mm-hmm. compiled with, I should say, a, a, a poor call. Because I, I still think it wasn't a yellow card. Like, I don't mm-hmm. think there's anything in it. I think the yellow should be for simulation. There's clearly no, nothing in that. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, when you have a yellow and you're already on a yellow and you're walking that tight, you know, that tight rope, mm-hmm. you just stay away from players. Like nothing after yes. the whistle. Definitely nothing mm-hmm. that could be perceived as retaliatory. So, mm-hmm. you know, he's got to know better. He knows that, obviously. Agreed, agreed. Yeah. Agree. Yeah, but but you know that's obviously the big factor in that game. Like when you look at the turning point, because Canada wasn't great in that first half, but at the end of the day, it was a zero-zero game, and you know Costa Rica really hadn't created any chances. So mm-hmm. at the very least, it looked like they were going to go into the half nil-nil, and then you see you know what the second half brings. And and if it was anything like what Canada brought in the second half, they probably would have dominated you know a lot of the ball and and dictated the chances and mm-hmm. maybe would have left with three points. Obviously, Maybe. the game was different. They were playing down a goal and down a man, and it was tough and, and an uphill battle, and they had their chances. So yeah. I can't be too upset about it. Yeah. I can't. I really can't be upset about the performance. I think it was, again, it was a slow start. This team is notorious for slow starts. If there's one thing that's going to nick them in the World Cup, mm-hmm. it's that exactly. They need, to, mm-hmm. they need to figure out how to hit the ground running because I don't know if there's been one game other than the El Salvador game in Toronto that I can say they actually came out flying. They came out like ready, prepared, and they and they won that game in the first 10 minutes. Every other mm-hmm. game of the, of the 14 matches, the other 13 matches, I don't think I can say they grew into all those games. I don't think I can say they had a good start in any of those games. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely something to, to worry about and to be concerned about because when you play a team like Belgium and Croatia and even Morocco, yeah, those quality opponents will bury you if you if it take 20 minutes to find your legs. And I think in that Costa Rica match, that was an example of that. Um, against Jamaica, you know, I really, to be honest with you, that Jamaica team, it's hard to take anything from that because they, they, no, agree. they didn't want to be there. Right. 
Canada did what they had to do, but Jamaica was like a really, really inferior opponent on the day. And mm-hmm. so, you know, take that one with a grain of salt. And then the, the Panama match, you know, it, it's it's a bit disappointing. I thought it was probably Canada's worst match of the of the window. Definitely Canada's worst match of the window. And, yeah, uh, they just didn't really have a lot of life. It looked like a team that was just that had just spent the last few days partying and having a, t- a ton to drink <laughs> and celebrating what was an amazing accomplishment. And, Which you know, was to a certain yeah. extent. To a certain extent, you just say, "Okay, that's all right." You know, mm-hmm. pot three would have been great. At the end of the day, I, I kind of came to the conclusion at some point before the draw that it wouldn't have really mattered because you're mm-hmm. going to be drawn into. Unless you get Qatar, you're going to get drawn into a, a, a group with two teams that are that are definitely on paper better than you. And you're going to have to beat at least one of them. And the pot three teams are all, you know, beatable, especially if you avoid like a, like a Serbia Senegal, which they did yeah. either way. Uh-huh. So, you know, I, at the end of the day, I don't think that made a huge difference. No, I was like, like it, six yeah. out of 10 happy with the window, you know, it could have been better, but at the same time, we're going to the world cup. So I'm not going to stress myself too much about it. No, that's true. And if you look at like the spot they were chasing, technically speaking, would have been Tunisia's spot. And that would have put them, if you're going to try to play that game, that would have put them in Group D with Denmark and France and the Intercontinental Playoff spot, which I believe I think that's a tougher the... group than where they ended. It'll be Peru. It... Yeah, it'll be Peru. And I mean, that's a... I, <laughs> I joke, someone said this <laughs> on Twitter and I was like, but it's true. If there's one team, it's like, if there's one team you don't want to draw, don't draw Denmark. You don't want to. You're the villains against yeah. Denmark. Christian Eriksen's back. You don't I want to draw Denmark. You probably don't want to draw France because they're still the best team in the world. And but. Peru. I mean, like, I don't know if anybody wants to draw Peru as a pot four team. Like, that's pretty ridiculous no. too. That would have been no kidding, no no exaggeration. That would have been a more difficult group than the one they drew. It it would have been unless you firmly believe in the in the winner's curse. In which case, France is not leaving the group stage. <laughs> it's a thing. <laughs> uh, I said that. It's almost like, are you mad? That team? Like they look at the other ones. France is not leaving the group. It's true I'm though. Not, I'm not yeah, super suspicious. It's true, but I'm a little suspicious. <laughs> but no, yeah, I I think yeah. At the end of the day, where well, you end up is you're going to have good teams and that's the thing. Right. And that's where a lot of people are. It's like, you're at the yeah. world cup. It's, you're not going to have an out of form uh, Jamaica. You're not going to have a disinterested Honduras. Every team that is there has got there playing something at an elite to good level. So there are no 100%. walks in the park. So at this point, it's no. like you put your best out. They put their best out. The ball is rolled. You kick, you hopefully end up on the better end of it. And that's all you can really do. Yep. No, I'm with you. I think the whole pot three thing was I, I, as much as, you know, you would love to see it happen. Mm. I knew that there was a, a very, very real chance that it would actually lead to a harder group. And it turns out that that's actually, that was the case. You know, mm. you, if you ask Tunisia, I'm sure they would take our group over what they got. But um, at the end of the day, you don't know any of that going into the draw. So no. how much does it really matter? I actually, I almost, I almost prefer that the guys were allowed to really enjoy that yeah. win against, uh, against Jamaica. Because it was an amazing accomplishment for the entire country, and and that group of men should, you know, should be rewarded for, it. and they should really live it up. And I love that they were at the Raptors game the next day, and I love that they were, you know, if you watch on the Instagram stories, it was a party for like two days. And I don't was. know how much training got done or preparation, but at the end of the day, I don't really care. I wasn't I wasn't too concerned about that last one. Yeah, I, like that the Raptors picture you're looking at was like, I know those eyes. I know I know what those eyes say. So you know. <laughs> 
I don't know how we're gonna look, but let, let's try to get a one nil win out in Panama, guys, and let's see. But no, they're definitely there, and I think kind of talking about like roster and squad management. I did message you earlier, and I, I'm wondering, based off of the squad and what we have for you, what is Canada's best formation? I mean, and you can look at this from a context of how they played in uh, qualifiers in the Octo, or how they're going to World Cup. But I've been wondering that because. I'm looking at I'm looking at the formations we've used. I'm looking at the player pool that we have, and I'm also looking in terms of what can put players in the best position to succeed, right? So for you, what is the best formation you think for Canada? You're not John Herdman. You're Adam here. So yeah. for you, what what do you think is three, the five, best two. formation? Three five two. Okay. Three five two. That's that. I would I would live and die with the three three five two because I think. Three five two is especially obviously it's 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 a good formation to counter like a four three three, which a lot of teams like to play. But it's a very uh-huh. good formation when you have those rangy wingbacks. Uh-huh. And if you just look at you know obviously there's nobody in the world I think right now that has the depth of these types of pacey, athletic, physically gifted, and skilled wingbacks that that uh-huh. Canada have. Um, they're certainly right up there with the with the biggest you know footballing nations uh-huh. in the world at that position. And I think that's how you get the most out of an Alfonso Davies. And I've always thought that the best Canada is the Canada that can find a way to utilize Davies and his unique ability uh-huh. at the highest level. So that's where I would go. And I also think, you know, it doesn't hurt that you could put a Tejon Buchanan across from him. And if you wanted to put a Richie Larea in that spot and you wanted to put Tejon into more of a forward position or bring him in, bring him on as a super sub, all that stuff is fine and good. And it's all, you know, just more cards in the hand of Herdman that he can play uh, during a group stage. I also think that all of our strikers operate better in a two-striker formation, so I wouldn't really consider any single-striker formations. Hmm. Um, and I think that uh, having the three men in central midfield also is what bodes best. I think it's kind of the best of all worlds, right? You hmm. get your three central midfielders, which you can have Estacchio be a little bit deeper-lying play, playmaker, and hmm. then whether it's a K.O. Osorio or a Hutchinson Osorio or, man, who knows, maybe an Ismail Kone and and uh, Hutchinson I, I, it's hard to say where the next yeah. few months will take us but there's a possibility of a guy like that being in your midfield obviously your central defenders playing three at the back allows you to play a guy like Alistair Johnson at what I consider his best position which is the right side of center back agree and uh, you have you know Stephen Vittoria who I think mm-hmm. you'd rather play in a back three because he doesn't exactly have the pace to cover as much ground but yeah. great in the air and very organized so that's mm-hmm. that's for me Canada's ideal position. Hmm. See, I agreed with you for the. I was on the three five two train because it's all we played until, until the Mexico game at Azteca, and then I I got sell I got greedy right. I watched Richie Larea and Alfonso Davies overlapping with themselves, and I saw them. I said, I want that all the time. I want it. I, I want it. Give, give it to me. Like a movie movie executive is like, I want what they're doing. Just do it quickly. Just mix it and go. So for some reason, like as much as a 4 through 3 might work here and going through, I still feel a 3 at the back of best. So for me, similar but not quite, a 3-4-3, three, three, which then creates an interesting dynamic of what you want to do with that, Right. If you go three four three, I think you can still utilize the pacing ranginess of Atacudbi and 
as well as Lorea, but then you can also have that overlapping with a Tejon and a Davies. And then the question now becomes, because you've been playing two striker for so long, the question is, what do you do for a striker? In which case, I probably lean into a little bit more Laren than David at this point. Because I still feel, even with a 3-5-2, David drops into that midfield well as that second striker when they're playing with Laren. Laren stays a little bit more up there. So I find that that formation, that really exploits well. But I feel like a 3-4-3, to me, is the, I'm going for a win. I, I don't care. Give me all the pace on the wings, and someone will reach a someone will reach across because they will just catch up to it. That that's just that's how it works in my mind. I don't know. What do you think about that? Yes, <laughs> I do. I was I was saying, I <laughs> I was saying, um, I do think the three four three is actually the formation that allows them to put the most of those X factor players on the pitch at once. Like if you mm-hmm. wanted to put, you know, a Larea and an Atacube and a Buchanan and a Davies, right? Like mm-hmm. they have this crazy depth of wide players, man, even a junior Horlet, like he was mm-hmm. amazing. He was fantastic in the last window. So I, I agree with you in that sense, but I'm also a big believer, big believer of the idea that you win and lose the, uh, the game most nights through your spine, through the middle True. of the field, right? Yeah. Your central defenders, your central midfielders and your center forwards. Like those guys have to be structured and you want, you want to win the numerical advantage. I think, especially against a better team yeah. in those areas, because otherwise they're just going to play you off the park. If, if you have a numerical disadvantage in the central midfield against a team like Croatia or Belgium, oh, that's, yeah. where they already have a Luka Modric and they already have a Kevin De Bruyne, like mm-hmm. good luck. Those guys are going to be picking passes like, no tomorrow and i don't think you i don't think that's a, a recipe that's conducive to canada's success mm-hmm. i also yeah. think by putting too many players out wide you actually are taking up some of those spaces for your electric wide players like i think you're you're now you know you almost want to condense the game so that you can keep those those free highways in the left and right flank for your buchanans and your yeah. Davies. so that's kind of where i sit again that's I'm still team three five two over three four three, but I definitely can see the case for a three four three because yeah. it's hard to imagine the way Sam Adekube, for example, has been playing. How is mm-hmm. he not in your best eleven? You know, and yeah. If, and if you're playing a three five two with Davies, like there's no place for Adekube, mm-hmm. and you can make a very similar case about you're going to have to make a pick between a Larea and a Buchanan, which you want both those guys in the field. So I'm with you. I think in terms of personnel, mm-hmm. that's probably the best way to go about it but i think in terms of actually executing the game plan that herdman probably wants to lay out i'm still with the 352 i still think that's canada's best formation and you're probably not wrong like honestly but again like maximize that and i'm also thinking from the standpoint of like the squads herdman has brought in you're looking at the depth that's on the bench you have wingers like liam miller is a winger like he's not going to play wing back so if i'm saying how am I going to maximize him on the team? Or if you bring in a, a Theo Corbianu in, winger can play wing back, but is a winger, right? Or, you know, as Canada exports apparently only right backs and wing backs, apparently. If, if you're fast paced, it's like, throw him back there, guys. Just, he's got pace or he's technical. Throw him back, throw him back. Let him build up from the back. So I feel like if you're going to do that, then at least. It allows you to utilize your depth a bit more. If you go three five two, which I think is probably they're more comfortable in, and something that they're useful for numerical advantages, like you said, you're you're taking off a bit of that dynamic aspect. Then 
if you have to choose between Adekubi and Davies, you're probably choosing Davies, but you'd rather, yeah. I'd rather have both, right? It's like, if you can pick one dual national, yeah. who do you want? Yes, please. I want both of them. I want all of them. I want all of them. <laughs> yes. I think you make a good point about the, like, you have a few of those natural wingers, like your Liam Millers and your, your Theo Corbinus. I, uh, but see, both those guys are kind of interesting for me because I don't know where they fit into Canada's squad. I think Corbinu has played center forward before. Mm-hmm. And actually, Liam Miller has as well when he was in, in Liverpool's youth setup. Yeah. But I don't know if they're, I don't know if they're at a stage where either of them are taking center forward minutes, just given Canada's depth in that position. Yeah. I would be really, I've thought this for a long time. I, I have two thoughts I'm going to share with you. Okay. I think Liam Miller should be on the right side. I've said this before. He's very comfortable on his right foot. And I think he doesn't space the field as much as an inverted winger. And if you're going to play him as an inverted winger, you need to play a guy like Davies behind him, maybe in a 3-4-3. So there's a very, 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 very specific use for a guy like Liam Miller in my yeah. uh, setup. Unless you switch him to the right side of the field, in which case I want to see what he can do. Yeah. And then a guy like Theo Corbinu, and this might be a crazy hot take, but I want to see Theo play centrally. I want to see him. He's a two-footed player. He's crafty. He's smart. I want to see what he can do in the middle of the park. I'm not saying I'm not saying like a central midfielder necessarily, but yeah. as like in an attacking midfielder role, even as a second striker, I want to see what he can do when he's not on the wings. Uh, and and I think he could be kind of a key cog in the attack. But I know that it's not where he's playing with club. That's not going to happen unless he gets some club minutes there. I don't think Herdman's that much of a mad scientist. So that's just a thought that I've so, sort of had internally. True. Uh, but I would love to see it. And those guys, I, I think you, you might have to get creative mm-hmm. to incorporate those guys. It's kind of what I'm getting at. Because yet you're right. They don't fit in the 3-5-2. Yeah. And, and that's where the question comes in. Because even like I've even had conversations where I've thought, does Davies eventually end up maybe in that central I got greedy. Like again, all my ideas are like, I want everyone on the pitch. How do I do this? So you put Davies as a can, and then you put like the wingers on there, and then you keep David and Laren or Akinola when he comes back, and then and then just, just throw everyone at the kitchen sink. Just throw everyone there. And you're just like, but if I do that, then then Diash, what are you doing with him if he if he switches over? What are yeah. you doing with like Mitrovic? If, if we're able to get him, what are you doing for the sake of chaos? If you say, Hey, Mar- Marcelo, mm-hmm. we, we have, we have fun things here in Canada. Come, come join us, join us. Um, so like you have to think about like, yes, getting the best players on there, but if you put a player like Davies there, you don't, and this is a bad example, but I think it's a good one to keep in mind. A player Davies and Andre, you are not the same player. I want that to be clear before someone's mm-hmm. like, he's calling there. But I think the issue with a player like Andre Ayu is you can play him anywhere, but he hasn't really mastered one position. So, like, I don't want to get so mm-hmm. creative with a player that it's like, well, I can just put you here, or I can just put you here, or I can put you up here. It's like, no, put him there. If you Put him somewhere. If it's left wing back, put him left wing back. If it's a left winger, put him there and just build around that so you know you can build the pieces around it. You don't want a situation where, where you have the AU brothers where it's like, are they wingers? Are they, are they strikers? Are they, are they cams? Mm-hmm. We don't know, but we'll play them there because they mm-hmm. can play everywhere. And meanwhile, there's like, then you have like a log jam of generational players who are like, but we're strikers too. Can, can we play striker? No. Pretend, but that's my Ghanaian rant. Um, Ghana will score. <laughs> I think it's Ghana a fair. Yeah, do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I knew you were going to get on me about that one. Um, I think it's a fair argument, and I wouldn't suggest playing Davies 
there was a time way back when, like at the very beginning of Davies uh, involvement mm-hmm. in the national team that I was suggesting we tried him in central midfield. Cause I just mm-hmm. thought he had the legs for it. And he mm-hmm. had, you know, he was our best player. So I'm like, put your best player. I, I'm a big believer in that. Put your best players in the spine, right? The middle of the yeah. field is where you win and lose most games. Obviously you have those exceptional talents who are wide players, but in a lot of cases, your most skilled players and, and your highest quality players on the ball. I like them in the middle of the field. So I kind of had a phase where I wanted to see that, but then just mm-hmm. seeing, seeing Davies in, in a wing back role, I thought he was, I still think it's his best role for Canada. I still think he's, he's a better wing back than he is even a winger and he's a great winger. Yeah. And, uh, and I don't think he's a left back. Like I still don't think he's a left back. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he's a left wing back and he's a let you, you know, if you watch the way Byron plays, he's a left wing back who's allowed to be, uh, to play, to, to, to move forward. And he's going to have the assurance behind him of mm-hmm. and the defensive structure of Byron and a Joshua Kimmich and a lot of times three central defenders, mm-hmm. uh, really good ones, by the way, who are going to afford him to be, afford him being that high up the pitch, afford a mistake, um, you know, or losing possession occasionally. Because when you have a player with that tor- sort of skill and speed and, and power, uh, they're going to try to take guys on. And there's a reason why he led the Bundesliga in dribbles, like, you know, before he, he had to leave with, uh, his uh, his heart problem it's because he will yeah. drill past yeah. just about anybody and everybody right and and if yep. you give him the ability to do that that's where he breaks games unfortunately you can't really do that that often at left back so I, i've never been a fan of him playing like a traditional left back in a back four but i think if mm-hmm. you put in a back five and he's a wing back i still think that is he's he's the best in the world at that ex- that specific role and that's mm-hmm. still if i had my say where i would have him for canada no that, that's fair that that's a very that's well said and it's a fair point. No, very much so. So we're we're on to the World Cup. And I think we're just gonna go this QA. You give I'll give you a question, you give me the answer. So it's not a simple answer, of course. I don't I don't do simple A Bs. It's like you'll have to expand on that as well. No worries. So, okay, so a successful <laughs> World Cup campaign for Canada is blank. getting points I, I my bar is not probably as high as some mm-hmm. other people's but mm-hmm. this is a tough group and i think if they go and and they and they you know can go get a draw against man if they can get mm-hmm. a draw against belgium or croatia that would be a huge win mm-hmm. uh if they can beat morocco even if they get a draw against morocco i would be i'd be pretty content with that mm-hmm. i don't have expectations of this team leaving the group stage i think they have it in them mm-hmm. i certainly believe that they have it in them and they're going to go in trying to get out of this group stage don't kid yourself but I'm personally not setting that expectation because I don't think we need to set that expectation. I don't think we're there yet. I think yeah. 2026 will be the World Cup for expectations and maybe there on after. But for this World Cup, being a pot four team, being a young team, being a team with no experience at this level, yeah, I, if they get if they get points, like a two point World Cup, I would be I'd be very content with. Mm. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, I mean we. C- for people who haven't watched and like this isn't a referendum on Morocco I'm just going to say because it this is like the african protectionist coming out be like hey 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 easy easy there yeah. morocco morocco's not some walkover okay morocco's the only northern oh, african oh no and team i don't think I they are like. at all yeah and like if their games are on YouTube, i don't think that at yeah. all and that's why yeah and, that, and that's why my and i and i was watching it through their uh, qualification and and that's why i think you know some people might say oh you'd be happy with a two point window yeah, who are you getting your draws against? Like, if you're getting your draws against Croatia and Morocco, that's a that's a pretty, in my opinion, if you lose to, to Belgium and you hold it close and you draw Croatia and you draw Morocco, 
that's a huge step forward for this country. It like, is. they didn't even have to win a game, and it could be a hugely successful World Cup, for my, in my opinion. So, yeah, I don't think Morocco's a pushover at all. I was actually, it's funny, I don't know, maybe a month before the draw, or whenever AFCON was, I was yeah. watching Morocco, and I was saying, that Morocco team reminds me a lot of Canada. Exactly, right? I've been you saying that. Hakimi and Davies, kind of on opposite, they're like the inverse Canada, you know? Mm-hmm. You ever, it's like the, you know, the, 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 the Mario and the Wario, right? Yeah. The Luigi and the Waluigi, yeah, right. And there, <laughs> and Morocco is our Waluigi. Yeah. So, uh, you know, they're kind of like very similar. And you look at where their guys are playing. A lot of guys playing at sort of similar levels. They kind of have they have their go to striker. Um, they have a few guys who are kind of their cream of the crop players, as we do. And then they have a bunch of guys who fill in the gaps. Yeah. So, th- yeah, it's not going to be a pushover. They're a very good team. Mm. Uh, and I think Canada, you know, a draw would be a, a good result for Canada. But they're a team that if Canada has ambitions of getting out of this group, which they will, they're going they to look at that be, game and say, as, that's, that's going to be two have. points. Yeah. yeah. No, there's no doubt. I, I think for me, a successful World Cup for me is minimum three. If that's three draws, that's fine. If that's a win and two losses, it's fine. I We need to – I feel like this team, at the very minimum, they need to experience winning at this level. Right. And if you think that's against Morocco, again, Morocco is Canada. And like, I mean, I made a terrible I made a terrible analogy today when I was talking to one of my friends. When we were in high school, we went to OFSA for basketball and like we're looking at the teams that we're playing. Like we're we're this we're the small little like private Christian school up in Niagara. And we play this Hamilton school and like their version of our players were six six our version were like six one and could jump out the building. Theirs were six seven and were jacked. And we're just like yeah, it's it's <laughs> ball game, but we we gave them we gave them trouble. <laughs> like we 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 lost them by seventeen. Everyone else lost by forty two. So I, I think we played good. Uh. I think we play good. So, but like that's the thing. So I think <laughs> success for me is you either hold everyone to draws or you at least have one win in there. If you have one win, you definitely can. The thing that's also interesting for this World Cup, which just I don't think people are really paying attention to it other than the fact that it's so long away is that if this world cup was happening in the summer, like it normally would be, it'd be like, okay, I can see how teams are playing Morocco. They're playing nice. Belgium. Lukaku looks like garbage right now. Maybe we can steal it. Modric. It's still a Modric. Okay, cool. We're a little bit afraid. This world cup isn't until November, which means, which we'll go into the next question mm-hmm. I asked, which means a, a team or a player can get into form or someone who's playing at peak can all of a sudden drop off. We don't know who we are dealing with until mm-hmm. probably September, October, when we start to see them in their season, get into form, how they're looking. Injuries can happen all through that. So for me, at minimum, getting a wind. A win, a win would be nice and wind because, you know, AC and, and AC and Qatar would be really helpful. I'm just gonna Qatar, say. yeah, that... Uh, for sure, I, I I think it's a fair it's a fair expectation or at least um, desire you know mm-hmm. to want to have at least three points. Mm-hmm. I, I think I'm I'm I don't want to say a pessimistic fan, but I'm always like I'm cautious. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been I've done this long enough. This Canada soccer thing, I'm 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 cautious. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to pre- predict any wins, but I will say like if they were to get two points, I would be content with it. Um, obviously, I think they're going with higher ambitions oh for sure as a fan i'm gonna have high ambitions 
But if they end up getting two points and they get some hard earned draws and, you know, they push Belgium to the brink and lose, mm-hmm. which is like such a very realistic city, they're probably going to lose to Belgium. Like we got to accept this. They're mm-hmm. probably going to lose to Belgium. Right. Like that's fine. There's no shame in losing to Belgium. Mm-hmm. Anybody else in our region would lose to Belgium. So we can't look at that as like an indictment of what we're doing or our program. That's just, that's a world-class team. That's a team that has superstar players, not just one, many. Mm-hmm. So we're not there yet. We're, we're heading in that direction. Maybe we'll be a lot closer in 2026. Uh-huh. So I think people, it's it's good that to not, so as not to crush our momentum. I would love if we could temper expectations a little bit for the general public, uh-huh. who so they don't think that we're going and making this crazy run. And if we happen to, then we happen to. But I don't uh-huh. think that should be the expectation. I think we should let this group be the underdogs that they're destined to be, and uh, and sur- and try to surprise you know one of the giants. Yeah. No. Agreed. The only thing I'd say to counter that is we're at the World Cup. There are no underdogs. Everyone's earned there. Yes, Saudi Arabia may get beat by really large number, but they earned their way there. Probably. Yeah, probably. probably. For sure. For sure. Mm -hmm. Probably. (laughs) They got a tough shot, too. (laughs) They do. All right. So second question. Speaking of a form, three players who you think – won't make the Qatar roster for Canada. Three players. Oh, God. Again, this is way too early, guys. It's all speculation. Yeah. Don't quote tweet him when when, this, when they make the squad. We're, we're, we're just talking. You we're friends quote here. Tweet me. I'm a big boy. I can handle it. <laughs> um, I think, okay, I'll, I'll just go one at a time while I think of the other two. I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking Daniil Henry. And that hurts me because I think he's a great leader. And, mm. and, I really do. I, um, I just think he needs to take a step up in terms of his form. Obviously, he needs consistent minutes, which mm. haven't been the case so far at LAFC, but it's been early, yeah. early days. Um, I haven't been overly impressed anytime I've seen him with Canada. He hasn't been awful, but I do think he's established himself as like not on the same tier as your starting choice center backs. Yeah. And to be honest with you, I probably have a little bit more comfort right now with a Derek Cornelius. Mm-hmm. So just if you look at the center back pool and you think, well, how many center backs can Canada take to a World Cup? We know they're going to take Victoria if he's healthy. Yes. We know they're going to take Scott Kennedy if he's healthy. Mm-hmm. And Kamal Miller. Yeah. And if you're, if you're considering Alistair Johnston a center back. Yeah. Right? H- how many more can you take? Derek Cornelius or Daniel Henry? Like probably it's, a, it's an either or. And, and if you're making that decision, for me, for my money, I like, I like Cornelius. Um, so I'll start there. And then I'm thinking maybe in the midfield, um, man, another guy who it would break my heart to not be there because he's been such a big part of this national team for such a long time. But Sammy Piet's got to start getting some minutes again. I know he's been hurt, but mm-hmm. obviously there's a lot of time. He's got to find his form. He's got to solidify himself as a, as a locked-in starter for CF Montreal. Mm-hmm. If he does that, he'll be there, no questions asked. But if he's playing this fringe role where he's getting scarce minutes, it's going to be tough to bring Sam Piet despite what he's meant for the program and how long he's been around. And then the other guy I'm going to throw out there is uh, another midfielder in, in uh, Liam Frazier in, in that I think he's been really good when he's been called upon. He's clearly somebody who Herdman has trust in, uh-huh. but he's got to be playing at a higher level because I don't think Canada with the player pool that is emerging is in a position where they're going to be calling guys from the second division of Belgium. I just don't. And that's just the reality of the situation. So uh-huh. he needs to find himself at a higher level, or he needs to just be so far and away clear the best player on that team and in that league 
that he can maybe justify his spot, but it's hard. It's hard to justify taking a guy in the second division of Belgium when you have guys who are playing in MLS at a high level and not uh-huh. making your squad, you know? So that's where I stand um, on the three guys who have kind of been involved, who I think might might miss out. And it hurts me to say because all three of those guys are culture guys. Yeah. All three of those guys are have been around for this whole World Cup qualifying cycle. Um, but as Herdman said, there's no guaranteed spots and, and there's going to be some tough decisions that I think unfortunately have to be made. Uh-huh. No, definitely. I think for me, I think Henry for sure kind of fits into that. I think he has to get more minutes and definitely go. I I remember talking to one of my friends about this. I forgot I forgot how much I appreciated Sammy Piet, man. I forgot. I I I, got, I reached the point where I was speaking French recording because I was just like, I forgot how good this man was. <laughs> I forgot how good of a CDM because that that Honduras match, it was just like weak again, slow start. And then all of a sudden it's like you see Piet running everywhere. I'm like, oh, Sammy. Yeah. It's been it's so too bad long. he got hurt in that game. It it, really he has. actually was yeah. I agree. He was, show, he was showing some good things. I just think he needs, just like with anybody, he needs consistent minutes. Mm-hmm. And the only guys who I think can get away without consistent minutes are guys who are like a, a, a Stefan Eustachio. You know, he's mm-hmm. playing at Porto. So if he's playing, you know, one in every three games, he's still playing at Porto. So you're not going to not call him. Mm-hmm. But if you have a guy like Sam Piet who's playing bench minutes every third game, Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's a very different situation, and that's a very different conversation we're having, right? So, mm-hmm. I, I think unfortunately, club form is going to be a big factor. Yeah, and for some guys, it, again, it breaks my heart. I really hope that they have a twenty-six man roster as opposed to twenty-three. I know they were mulling over that uh, mm-hmm. that, that that idea, but I, I really do want to see uh, as many of these guys who helped to get us here to take us across the line and 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 see this dream through to Qatar. I just think that the reality of it is is some of these guys are going to need to take steps up in their career. Yeah, agreed, agreed. So I won't. I'll probably put more Liam Frazier for that versus Piet because as a, I think Fra- mm-hmm. I think Frazier and Piet will be battling out for that second CDM unless you know Pichelle decides to step up as well with what he's doing at Venezia. But I think as a striker, just because the names that we know are on the verge, I'm putting Cavallini there because. Akinola, when he comes, I think Akinola until the injury was the lone bright spot for TFC last year when I was watching them. I was like, at least Ayo's there. You know, at least he's doing something. Mm-hmm. So he's there. You have the the talk and thought process of if you try to get a Daniel Jebison in there, there's a lot of strikers at that point. And Cavallini last year was not his best year. And that is that is still there. That that stench is still there. He needs to definitely pick up in terms of his form and just the quality of minutes he's getting. If not, there are players there who are waiting. Ugbo will play at some point. A full he will start. I promise. Uh, Christian Gutierrez will play. He's a real player. That's a joke that I have with my friends. He always gets called up and never plays, but he's real. He's a real person. And so I think. <laughs> So I think for strikers, Cavallini definitely for that fourth role. If you had to a player coming through, I think he's someone who needs to be a wary. If not, he may lose his spot. Even though he has been a stalwart for the program, but you gotta you gotta be showing you gotta be in for. Him. That's kind of how I yeah. Feel I think yeah. that's that's a, a totally fair. No, that's totally fair. In, in your, you know, we're putting them on the same. We're holding them to the same standard, right? Mm-hmm. You're not getting club minutes. 
you know, you haven't really gotten many national team minutes. Because I think then there's a different case for even a guy like a Richie Larea who isn't mm-hmm. getting club minutes, but every time he's called upon for the national team, he turns up and he's like a mm-hmm. like a very key pl- player in their mm-hmm. uh, in their system. So I think you look at him with a little bit different, you know, he's in a little bit different of a position. Yeah. Know? And I, I don't want to compare his club situation necessarily to a guy like Cavallini. Even if Cavallini now, now he's actually started having a decent year with Whitecaps just to start the year. Certainly better than what the situation was last year, losing yeah. the spot to Brian White, who Definitely. never gave it back. It does look like mm-hmm. under Vanny Sartini that there might be some minutes there for Cavallini, um, and they haven't totally given up on him. And, and he's actually played pretty good football to start the season. So, you know, okay. I hope Cavallini can find that form. And I think if he does, he'll be there for sure. But if he doesn't, yeah. you make a great point about striker depth. No, it's fair point. He, he probably will be the odd man out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think I think that that would be my three. All right. So few questions before random questions of soccer things. Something I like to ask people, whatever their national team is, it's it's basically a four question, four players. Scene, dream, secure, redeem. So scene is who is right now to you the best current playing for the national team. Dream, who's the best prospect that's on their way up, in your opinion? Secure, who's a dual national that you'd like to get into the program? Redeem, who's a player who's maybe not had good form that you'd like to see them get back into good form for their program? So, scene, currently the best player for the program? Currently the best player. I'll start with that one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That one's easy. (laughs) So, yes, Alfonso Davies Mm -hmm. uh, should be no, no, you know, no qualms about that one, I'm sure. Yeah, I, I wouldn't disagree with then that. Then the next one, sorry. You're going <laughs> to... Uh, what was the next one? Redeem? Uh, this next one is Dream. So youth prospect you're most excited about. Dream. Yep. Ooh, this is a tricky one. <laughs> I, especially after seeing... It's going to be a little off the board, so people... People, I don't like when people can think, you know, can read my mind, can think into what I'm thinking. I'm going to throw a curveball at you, okay. right? After seeing the U20 roster released, Jamie Knight-Labelle is a guy who sticks out for me. And I'm very, very, very excited about his future at the center back position. It was always going to be a center back because okay. if I'm dreaming, I'm going to dream about a position that we don't have a ton of depth in. Okay. Or at least we don't have that world-class player in. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jamie Knight-Labelle, he's he's... His profile excites me. Everything I've heard about him excites me. And I can't wait to watch him with the U20s. Mm-hmm. Um, next question. Redeem? or, or yeah, I'm, I'm forgetting yeah, the order. Yeah, already. so Steen, Dream, that. Secure. So dual net if you can get them into the program. Secure. Yeah. Who are we getting? Uh, Marcelo Flores, because the chaos would be... Oh, my goodness. Magnificent. Let me tell you. Let <laughs> me chaos. tell you. I live, for, I live for those interactions. If, I, if we ever got Marcelo Flores, I think my, my account, they'd have to ban me. Man, I, I honestly, if if we had got, and this is pure spec, but like if Marcelo had chosen to pick Canada way back, like when Pepe broke onto the USMNT and he's scoring goals at the beginning when he's on his hot, the Kaya, I would have just sat there and said, deal with it, Eltree. Deal with it. It's, it's an implosion of Twitter. It, it's amazing. Yeah, I, I don't think it's totally, like, totally, totally sailed, but I don't. Listen, I'm not holding my breath about Flores, mm-hmm. but it, you know, in my in my dream scenario, that's who I'll secure. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, purely for chaos, also because he would fit really well with Can- what Canada has going and, yes. and the timeline and all that, 
all that fun stuff. And uh, who do I want to see work back into form? It's gonna be it's gonna be Theo Corbinu, um, mm-hmm. because not that he's not in form, but I just want to see him back in the national team fold because yeah. I really I really rate the player. I think he's an incredible talent, and I think he's gonna be a lockdown starter for a very long time for this national team. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just needs to find that you know that consistency in his game. He needs to find it at the League One level, and I'm sure shortly after he'll find it at the national team level as well. Mm-hmm. Very good answers. Very good answers. I'll give you mine real quick. Seeing definitely, I'm going to go with Alfonso Davies, but Jonathan David and Kyle Aaron had good years, so don't forget them. Um, Dream prospect Mm -hmm. I'm excited about. Um, If you, just because he just retweeted me today, um, Jesse Costa, because, hey, hey, I mean, you did it. So I appreciate. I was like, I'm I'm a real person, guys. (laughs) Steph Labe and Jesse Costa. I, I can quit life at this point i've done everything i need to do um <laughs> so those two um secure same idea but get me diaz or mitrovic i think the thing this team is lacking that could really allow them to be a full-fledged attacking from anywhere would be having that creative midfielder in the middle which is why like that group of duels for me is like Flores, Mitrovic, Diaz, those three, and you can throw in Kone into that as well. If you can get like a solid core two of three of them coming through, it really does allow you mm. to play more when you have those three midfielders in, playing with a CD, playing maybe an eight, and then having that real creative that you can then play off of if it's probably David dropping back and creating some of those matches and finding the passes, the breakthrough lines. And that to me is like, that's all, that's the last thing we're missing. So getting one of those to come through and player, I'd like to see back in the program redeem. Theo is, is a good shout. Um, but just because Christian Gutierrez is a real player, I just want him to play. I just want the man to play. That, that's all I want. Okay, <laughs> I want him to run on the pitch. He could be the 90th minute. I just want him to be on the pitch so I can say he's real. Okay, we've seen him in training pictures, but I just need it to be real. That's what I need. It. I need Christian Gutierrez to play. Oh, right. I thought there was a chance less window. It's too bad, but because uh, I would like to see him as well. And when I've seen him with the Whitecaps, I've been you know pretty impressed. Indeed, just about every time I've seen him with Vancouver. So. Mm-hmm. I think um, it's a it's a matter of time. It it is definitely. I mean, and and Raheem Edwards playing well for LAFC as well, or Galaxy. He's at Galaxy now, so he's had a good start in the MLS, and a lot of good players yeah. have been playing well as well. So there. So since everyone's getting canceled on Twitter these days for statements, well, that's been a thing I've been seeing. It's like, what's your cancelable take? Um, what is your soccer cancelable take <laughs> that you have? Don't worry, I'll I'll give you. Oh my... God, you put me on the spot with this one. Yeah, let me think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me yours first, so I can I can think for a sec. Okay, so <laughs> I've 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 got into I, this is actually very recent, but it's something that bothers me. The word world class to me, I think, gets thrown around a bit. To me, to me, world class is above everyone else of their peers. So if you are not above your peers, if you can have a legitimate debate whether you are above your peers then you are elite, and there's nothing wrong with that. But to say that there are seven or eight or nine players at a position who are world-class, to me, I don't view that as real because there's only one player who could be world-class to me because they are, whether it's head, shoulders, toenail, they are above that level. 
So to me, world class is you have to be clear of everyone else. And if there if there's argument, you leave it blank. It's a Hall of Fame vote. We don't have to put in twelve people. If there's only seven people, you can say are truly world class. That is fine. But you can't have seven players. You're like, yeah, they're all world class. Holland, Mbappe, Lewandowski, Christian Benzema, like they're all elite because you can have a solid argument. But if someone came with a solid argument and said, no, Benzema's like, look at how he performs in big games. Like, yeah, to me, fine. That's fair. So Benzema right now is world-class until proven otherwise. And that is how I see it. And people will fight me for this. And that's fine. Yes. You can say who's better Robertson or Davies as a left back. They're both world-class. If it's a legitimate argument, they are both elite. But if one is not above the other, they are not, there's not world class for both. That is my counselable take. Interesting. Interesting. Man, now that I'm thinking about it, I probably have a ton of, I have a ton of cancelable takes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, where do I begin? I don't know if this is cancelable, but I, I've, I've been on the record many times saying, um, I think VAR actually hurts the game. So that's, that's one that I, that's a hill I, until they fix the how they implement VAR, because I'm not mm-hmm. like anti-technology. I don't want people to think I'm anti-technology. Mm-hmm. Not at all. Yeah. I just think the rules would have to change to accommodate VAR. Because when the game was designed, it wasn't designed with the idea that everything could be reviewed, watched over in slow motion, mm-hmm. and you know picked at with a, a fine-tooth comb. Yep. And the rule book reflects that. Yeah. So I think now that we have this thing... We need to change the rules to accommodate VAR. Also, another one. Again, don't know if this is a hot take or a cancelable take. Mm. I think it's cancelable in the sense that it's like super anti, you know, football purists. But I think they should strongly consider changing the 90-minute clock and stopping the play when players go down. Like that might be a cancelable take, but I just I have no tolerance for simulation. Mm. If you got to make the matches eighty minutes or whatever, but you're gonna stop play every time somebody hits the ground for more than I don't know five ten seconds, stop the clock. Like there's no need why the clock needs to be running. There's no need for it in my mind. Stop the clock. I want to watch them play football, you know. And the more time that mm. players aren't sitting on the ground or waiting to, you know, kick a goal kick or whatever the case may be, a free kick. That means the more football I get to watch. So if that if that means to, to fit it into you know the same block, you got to make the game seventy five or eighty minutes. I'm for that. I, I that's that's another one that I think might be unpopular, but uh, I would I would die on that hill as well because I think it's a matter of time. We're in the twenty twenty first century now. Yeah, this sport hasn't evolved. You know, really has not evolved, and we're seeing the same simulate. I would argue it's worse now than it was. You know, even thirty and forty years ago. So simulation it doesn't need to be a part of our game and, mm-hmm. and there are things we can actually do changing small tweaks to the rules and, and to the game to uh to prevent simulation from from ruining the beautiful game and that's kind of where i'm at mm. that's fair and the last question is i mean kind of is the same thing but if there's one thing that you can change in the football pyramid the football scheme worldwide national it could be world cup it could be whatever it is what is the thing that you want to change i'll give you two if you just two things off the top of your head you'd say i think these things should be happening yeah. a bit more yeah yeah g- give me give me one of yours and then i'll uh it'll give okay. me some direction where to go with this okay so for me 
I and this will this will definitely get me canceled in Africa, but it's it's all right. Um, <laughs> they 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 still love me. I think. Um, I think continental tournaments should happen every four years, and I think the winner of them should be directly put into the World Cup. And I think that for two reasons. 100% One, agree with that. I, and and this is not a, oh, Italy didn't make the World Cup. I, I, don't, I don't care. You have to make it, win your game, mm-hmm. whatever. But I find that there are tournaments. Yeah, I agree with that as well. Yeah, I feel that you should be, if teams can have multiple opportunities, I think that raises the level of competition. It also raises the stakes of those tournaments. Now, I know some, like, CONCACAF runs a Gold Cup every two years. AFCON runs it every two years. And they do that because, I mean, of the two tournaments, let's be honest, they probably get dumped on the most and given no respect. But I, especially with AFCON, there's always a team that makes a run that you're just like, what? And yes, you could say it's, you can say it mm-hmm. might, you know, dilute the pool when you get to the World Cup. Sure. But if you're trying to, if your whole purpose is to develop and promote the game, imagine like a Madagascar three years ago who goes on a run, makes the semifinals, and now instead of just winning the AFCON, they have a berth at the World Cup on the line, right? That's amazing. But once you get a team, I'm with you. Yeah. But if you now take that in CONCACAF, say you have the US or Mexico win, right? They're already in the World Cup. They can start prepping and doing what they want. Now you give another team in that region a chance to fight for it and there are other ways to get in. So maybe instead of like if U.S. wins it, now maybe you throw in a Curacao or like uh, another team that's on the edge that isn't there. You add them. That gives them the opportunity to really fight for this. So I think if you make qualifier, if you make federation tournaments, um, having them – have a world club berth on the line. I think you only help that, but the length of the frequency of them, I know some people will have an issue with, but if you run them every four years and you know, Hey, if we, if Canada knows if they win the gold cup this year, they can just prep for the world cup. Now that helps your federation. That's like, look, we're already here guys. Yo, yo, tomorrow. Like, let's talk. Mm-hmm. Let's talk right now. Okay. Like we don't have to qualify. Yeah. We're here. Let's talk. Okay. I think that only helps you in that aspect. And now you're looking for, other type, other types of friendlies. You're looking for higher profiles. You have teams that are there, and that allows you to prepare better. But that's one thing I would do, and on a world stage. I've got one as well, actually. for For a long time, so I'm, I don't know if, how, how familiar you are, how much you follow <clears throat> March Madness. Yeah, right. But uh, at the same time as the NCAA tournament is going on, there's another tournament usually called the NIT tournament. Yeah for a lot of the schools that didn't qualify for the NCAA tournament, but still big schools. Mm-hmm. I've, I've been a believer that, and I think FIFA is actually discussing this now. So this is not like a pie in the sky argument anymore, but I, I, this was something that I was talking about years ago about our national teams never play against other confederations, national teams. Mm-hmm. It would be awesome to have non world cup teams have an opportunity to play out of, out of confederation mm-hmm. in a meaningful game an actual, you know, not just friendly matches that are mm-hmm. organized by, uh, by the respective federations, but in an actual tournament with a trophy and a winner. Mm-hmm. So I think doing something like, I don't know if it's another 32 teams that, you know, the next highest ranked 32 teams or whatever, however you'd have to qualify for this. I don't know. I haven't thought that much about it, but I just think it would be a really, really cool opportunity. And especially to help promote the sport and grow the sport in some mm-hmm. of these nations that, you know, national team soccer is just not big in some of these countries because they're never playing they're never making it far in the regional tournaments. They're never going to World Cups. Mm-hmm. But I think there's an opportunity to grow the, the sport in those countries. And Canada could have benefited 
immensely from having such a tournament that mm-hmm. you know gives teams outside of the top 32 in the world an opportunity to play for something, to play competitive fixtures against other nations from outside of their region, to play a, you know, a team from South America, to play a team from Africa, mm-hmm. right? And teams around your level. I, I just I always thought that was kind of a no-brainer. I don't understand why it never happens. And uh, maybe we'll see some some variation of that. I know FIFA's starting to get a little more creative. And mm-hmm. you know, they're talking about a joint Nations League between European and South American competition. Yeah. I think now that today there was a report about CONCACAF and CONMEBOL, you know, looking at the idea of, of a joint um, uh, Copa America, mm-hmm. which would be, again, all this stuff would be awesome. But I think it starts with having another tournament that's you know, below the world cup, almost like a Europa league type style of thing. Yeah. And that's it's still going to mean thinking, a lot yeah. for these countries. And yeah, for, for these countries, it would be their World Cup, you know, because not every country has realistic expectations of making the World Cup. Yeah, that's a good one. And because like my second idea, which I've had, like I've talked with my, because I normally record with my two other friends. See, one's Kenyan, one's Gambian. We all met at, at, at university and we all just have takes and we argue about food. But <laughs> like we were talking about the idea of like, if you really want to grow the game, forget about bidding, literally just say, the World Cup is going to be, we're just going to rotate it from Federation every four years. And you guys can pick wherever it, you want it to be, right? So CONCACAF has it in 2026. In 2030, it's going to be in in Africa. In 2034, it's going to be in Komombo. In, in 2038, it's going to be in Europe, right? Asia, Oceanic. And you just rotate like that, and then they can pick places. Because like we were talking about like, there are places as a football fan, like they've, they've been to like, they've been to Europe many a time. So they've seen stadiums, they've seen things, but it's mm-hmm. like, I want to see it in places where I don't normally see it. That's interesting. Like to him, he mm-hmm. was excited about the idea. If you said a world cup in the Caribbean, right. And then every Island has its own stadium. Mm-hmm. It has their own group. And you're, you're basically hopping from the Bahamas to Trinidad to, to Jamaica, to, to Suriname. And it's like, there's a different group and it's just a, it's a Caribbean vacation. You get to experience their football culture and that aspect. And I'm like, <laughs> I would, if you told me I, that's intriguing to me, like as much as I'd, love I'd to be see, there yeah. and I don't need an excuse to go to the, the Caribbean. <laughs> exactly. Like as much don't as need like, an excuse, right. Like as much as like going to Spain and camp new would be great. Like, like take me to Lithuania. Let me, let me see how you run into Lithuania. Let's, let's talk about mm-hmm. this world cup in Lithuania. Let, let's do this. So like mm-hmm. that would be I think I'm with be... you. I like I like when new countries have a chance to host. Agreed, agreed, agreed. Having said that, having said that, I don't like when Qatar gets the host. Like I think we can find a happy medium where like we can set some standards and some regulations and like really low a really low bar. Like can we just set a really low bar, like you know, on the human rights scale that we can at least surpass before we start giving these World Cups to Russia and Qatar. Anyways, I digress. I, I mean. I mean, what a what a two World Cup cycle to have, eh? Just yeah, Russia <laughs> then Qatar. What God. are the odds of? What are the odds? Yeah. Mm. Hey, but I mean, I mean, yeah, what are the odds? It's amazing. It's amazing what money money can buy. What money? My hey, gosh. but hey, the funny thing that I found, <laughs> I was talking with my one of my Italian Canadian friends. He was just like, right when like the mm-hmm. FIFA president was getting arrested in states, and we're just like, oh, so the FBI cares about? It. I'm like. Mike, let's be real. The U.S. cares about this because they're like, it shouldn't be in Qatar. If only there was a country with a lot of stadiums that they could put the World Cup in. Mm-hmm. Like ours. 
hey guys, we could be a mm-hmm. we could be an emergency replacement, right? Right? We we could do that. Which is why I yeah. think it, I, it, it, yeah. it. I think that's why they ended up getting twenty twenty six. To be honest, so it it could be a fact. I, I do think I do think you know tw- the idea of the joint World Cup was like super lucrative, mm-hmm. but I I'm it still blows my mind that. Qatar one in 2022 and that Russia one before that, especially this Qatar one. Cause I think Russia, I mean, I don't want to get too deep into this, but, yeah. but Russia, Russia had had its problems always. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously now a lot of the situations in Russia have been highlighted with the current happenings of the world. Mm-hmm. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you live under a rock. Obviously everyone knows what I'm talking about, but um, yeah, C- yeah, Qatar's Qatar's got its own, you know, problems with, uh, I, I made a tweet today. It's like, it's hard to be a fan of this sport and like be so excited about the world cup. And especially being mm. a Canadian and you haven't been there in so long and you live your, like my whole childhood, I've dreamt about seeing Canada in a world cup and you have to almost like, you don't want to have, you don't want to have that thought on the back of your head that like, man, like 6,500 workers, migrant workers came and died building the stadiums that they're going to be playing these matches mm. in. Like it's a horrible thought to have. Yeah. And like, it just, you know, unfortunately it takes away from the football a little bit because I can't separate those things fully. Like it's hard to, you know, mm-hmm. so it's unfortunate. I I really hope that in the future, at some point FIFA, you know, is, becomes a pure uh, organization. I'm not holding <laughs> my breath, but um, yeah, you your know, optimism be is awesome. well, and, well and if spent. it wasn't about money, mm-hmm. Oh no, it's it, listen, it's not gonna, it's not, I, I'm not holding my breath, um, but it would be awesome to see, you know, the world cup moved around to, to confederations that don't really have an opportunity to host to countries that can show off their footballing culture. I'm all for that, mm-hmm. um, you know, provided they can meet these minimum, like these bare minimum thresholds, yeah. you know, to not segregate and not, you know, not, not uh, you know, to, to, to stick with FIFA's message of, of inclus- inclusivity. Agreed. You know, they're so, Agreed. you know, say no to racism and there's, you know, they say all the right things, but at the end of the day, then they, they'll put, they'll put world cup games in guitar. And so yeah. I, I would like them to stick, you know, stay consistent with their messaging and actually, practice what they preach agreed 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 definitely man this has been a very fun conversation we've had um it'll be you know those conversations are like i could go for two hours but we have to work tomorrow so let's yeah. let's not yeah. go till <laughs> till another hour here but man adam this has been great um really <laughs> really appreciate the time um as every time we record a podcast, anytime you want to chat man technical issues always but man this has been great, and we're definitely going to do this again later for sure. But, man, if people are looking for you and, and we're looking for your content, is there anywhere that they can find you other than – I didn't give them your – Twitter handle will be in the description, but tell them where else they can find you. Yeah, so other than on Twitter, um, you can check out the CV Rise podcast. That's uh, C-S-E-E-V with two E's, Rise mm-hmm. podcast, available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Um, and, uh, if that's your sort of thing, if you're into talking about Canada, Canada soccer as, as much as I am, mm. um, then, you know, give that a listen. Surely you will find something you like. I'm trying to be more consistent with my posting. I have some really cool guests coming up actually. So I'll just hint at them, but I won't reveal anything until that's official. Um, but that's about it. Yeah. Just give me a follow on Twitter. Uh, if you, if you talk about Canada soccer, I'll follow you back happily. Mm. Um, and can't follow enough Canada soccer people. So, uh, I like my timeline to be polluted with Canada soccer content. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Because if it's not, then it's polluted by USMNT fans fighting about what a Other toxic stuff. fan is. Oh, and that, that's always and the worst. I, I, I don't want to go on a tangent. <laughs> I don't want to go on a tangent here, but I'm just going to say this. Like, 
there are levels, and maybe it's because I grew up as a Ghanaian fan, and like you have Italian parents, right? Italian heritage. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So like yep. to me, like I find when people have those conversations about fandoms, like what is toxic fandom? I'm just like, this is this is a, and maybe it's just because I've grown up in this, but like Ghanaian football mm-hmm. culture is just like, I'm sorry, what? This this is a this is a Tuesday. Yeah. Right. Like not po- not trying. Yeah. To, exactly. We're, exactly. We're not trying to make light of it, but like Nigerian fans were running onto the pitch after they lost to Ghana. Like so. Yeah. Like, and you, you see thing. some of these. You see some of these things all over the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's no such thing as. I mean, yeah. I'm sure it's toxic. Maybe compare in comparison to, you know, NBA fandom. Maybe maybe MLS fandom. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But certainly with regards to national football um no it's not it's we have it very good here and 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 we we it's not like in some countries man this is like a life or death thing it is is, for here this is in 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 canada it's it's entertainment right and we are able to sort of put it in that box and Mm -hmm. so yeah it's it's certainly not nothing compared to a lot of if you looked at a lot of even a lot of canadians and their ancestral countries right their, their country of heritage They'll tell you that it's nothing. The footballing culture and, and, and the seriousness of it all—it's mm-hmm. nothing like what we have in this country. And I don't think that's a bad thing. No. I think that you know we're still an emerging soccer nation, and uh, and we should be excited about kind of heading in that direction. But unfortunately, those are the things that sometimes come with that. Yeah, I think there's definitely like a line, and like it's understanding where that line is crossing, right? And so I think for us as we grow as a as a soccer nation it's you can be critical there's no doubt about that but there's ways to be critical which don't cross that line right i mean the, the mark anthony k situation is like prime example of that oh 100 like, there's yeah. a like yeah. you can be you can be and like i said it's like you can be upset that he took the red because you have to understand time and location and the moment of the, the day but that For doesn't sure. give that doesn't mean that you can say what people were saying to him online. So there's that line to understand. Yeah, absolutely. That. And I think we'll continue to grow. We'll have mistakes, but we have to mistakes are only mistakes if we learn from them. If not, they're just bad habits. So we just gotta make sure we're making yeah. mistakes and learning and not just having the same habits happen over and over again. And I think it was great to see the response that, you know, I again I don't I, I don't want to pretend to know how big of an issue it was in terms of like yeah how, how many people were were you know uh abusing and harassing mm-hmm. mark anthony k and making these horrible racist xenophobic comments mm-hmm. but i do love the fact that canada soccer even if it was only you know a couple i don't really know even, even if it was only a couple people i think it's awesome that they made a statement i think it's awesome that the community the canada soccer community rallied around Mark Anthony K, right? Like yeah. I think the response to it was very positive and mm-hmm. and I think it shows what we aspire to be as Canadians. So yeah. um obviously even one comment is one too many, but I do think that I was happy with how the the country kind of rallied around him following that. Agreed, agreed, agreed. Before I think of another random topic, we're gonna we're gonna cut it off here, guys. Thank you for spending this time with us. Okay. <laughs> um I'm glad you guys episodes will be coming around we will be doing some things on our youtube page with the africans fc we've we've settled on africans fc for now there was some there was some arguments for maple jollof but again 
Uh, the Kenyan said no, so <laughs> we're not going to do that. But yeah, so African FC, you'll see some previews. We have the women's celebration that is happening or has already happened, depending when you listen to this. So make sure you check out some of the content on our YouTube page and continue to watch us going through. But guys, this has been a Questy from the Africans. That was Adam and bye bye for now.